Should I do the intro? No. Hi, everyone. I'm Harper. Oh, you you, you immediately shot down that. <laughs> You're just like, no, there's... Okay, no, you go first. Go. What? No, I'm sorry. You do it. Okay. All right. Hold on. Sorry. I need a second. Uh, hey, everyone. Uh, this is Hawkeyes. No. What? What did I do? I'm Harper. I'm Jonathan. This is Hawkeyes, and that's when I drop the... Oh, okay. Because usually you say, we're joined by a wonderful guest today. Yeah, but that's after we did the whole thing. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. Hold on. Uh, hey, everyone. I'm Jonathan. I'm Harper. And this is Hawkeyes. Authentic knowledge and feelings. I feel it. I feel it. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. You want a little clip that makes everybody laugh and feel good. You know what I mean? Instead, it's like, whoa. But I'm really not. No, no, no. What? Okay. Oh, I'm letting the the theme play in my you don't have to leave space for the theme song i don't no because i just plug it in so okay that's cool i've never i don't know how podcasts work you know okay this this is 100 percent true this is embarrassing i did this is something i didn't know about podcasts Uh okay you're watching an old rerun of like seinfeld or something sure just because they have the show is from the 90s doesn't mean that they are going to put commercials that were from the 90s. Yeah. I knew that, obviously. Uh-huh. Right? I, I understand how TV works. I actually did not realize that the same was true of podcasts. podcasts. yeah. I did not know that because I was listening to Conan O'Brien's friend. I went back to like one of the older ones. And then one of the ads was like, you know, uh, we all know that this is a strange time. And, uh-huh. uh, and you know, he, he didn't like specifically say. So I kind of was like, oh, okay, whatever. Uh, and this is a strange time for everyone and you know our homes are more important than ever and that's why rocket mortgage whatever that kind of thing <laughs> sorry no free no free yeah. uh, promotion you have to bleep that out but um yeah and so it took me a couple of listens to be like oh they went back and replaced the old ads with the new ads yeah so basically what happens is there are places where you could put markers for where an ad would go mm-hmm. and so then your ads change out based on whatever ads are provided to you like whoever wants to sponsor you or whatever right. the the company that gives you the ads you know well i mean i would love to find out firsthand you know i sure would wink, wink nudge nudge lisa mattress yeah or, or casper casper we don't judge love either love both or, I, we have um, both we actually have both yeah we also have purple mattress. we have pur- we we are we, we are crazy people our entire floor <laughs> is mattresses just covered with mattresses covered with mattresses just purple so we have all casper three. lisa we'd love to be sponsored by honestly if sit any and, and sit all and sleep Seely, any of those old ones want to get in on same yeah get in on the podcast we have those too we have those too they should they should do it i don't know why you see so many mattress ads on TV and they're all for like, you know, sit and sleep. Mm-hmm. Sealy. Those are the only two I can think of. Well, it's because old oh, people. Oh, Thermoputic. Uh, no, here's what the is thing. Theragun. Ther- no. Theragun. Theranos. No. Thanos? No. What is it called? Um, Tempur-Pedic. Tempur-Pedic. Tempur- Pedic, yes thank you yeah um it's because is this old people yeah it is recording <laughs> but i told you when we started recording sorry i wasn't listening go on um because old people watch tv and old people like to go into the store and like get mattresses but young people listen to podcasts and young people don't like to go out to the stores young people don't like that here's the problem i have they love having things delivered they love a subscription yeah here's the problem i have and I'm about to call out any potential sponsors. Great. All of these direct-to-consumer brands, they treat everything like it's a problem to be solved. You know what I mean? Not like it's we're gonna make we're gonna make something nice just for the sake of making something nice. They're mm-hmm. like, no. Shopping for glasses 
is a crime and I hate it. We're going to streamline everything and give you the most bland looking glasses you could possibly buy at a direct to consumer $95 price. And that's how all of these brands operate. And I, I, I don't, I think there are a lot of them that like do a good job, but I think overall this trend of like this sort of ever laneification <laughs> of all products, uh-huh. I don't think is good for like the creative industry. You might have to cut all of this out, but because I'm just going after our sponsors, who they're going to be our sponsors soon, clearly. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Um, I'm really not too worried about it. I'm going to leave all this in. <laughs> all right. Sorry. Does no that make offense. any sense? As to I've you? said before, we make no money off of this podcast. In fact, I would say that I've sunk uh, personally. On equipment alone, I have sunk about $1,000 into this podcast. Damn, dude. And then paying for hosting the podcast, that's another that's another two to three hundy right there. Wow. And then um, what, what else is there? Well, I guess the time that we put into it, our time is actually valuable, I would say. So, yes. well, yeah, if we're getting what paid minimum wage. What would you be doing wage, if you weren't, you'd be watching The Vampire Diaries right now? Yeah, I would have watched more Vampire Diaries yeah. than I've already watched. Yeah. So that's valuable. You need to, uh, what's that thing I'm called? losing my Vampire Diaries time. That's true. I would be done that, with the you're Vampire wasting, Diaries You're wasting now. your Netflix subscription right there, there by not watching Netflix right now. Yeah. Or I could be doing like, you know, I don't know, like a, a second job or something and be getting paid. What would your second job be? I don't know. Well, I mean, I get paid fisherman? for another podcast. So Fisherman? Yeah, I'd be a fisherman. You'd be a fisherman. Yeah. Just a part-time fisherman. <laughs> just, just part-time. Just I don't really two, make a lot. I just go and do it like... Two days a week. Two days a week. Four hours a day. Yeah, not even. Yeah. That's how that's how, that's how how being a fisherman works. Yeah. You just go and come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when you think about all of the hours that I've sunk... That we, we've sunk into this, but then additionally, I would say, however long the podcast is, every episode... I've sunk that amount of four time hours. as well. Uh, each episode is four hours. The fans don't know this because they're seamlessly edited. Mm-hmm. But each podcast episode is four hours long. Yeah, I'm a really good editor. Um, I guess hire me to edit your podcast and I'll do that instead of this. <laughs> wow. No, I'm you just ready kidding. To just I'm, dump I'm me just as a podcast. No, I'm not going to dump you, you as a podcast As a podcast co-host. co-host. Yeah, that's what I meant. Not as a like As a podcast. Not as a boyfriend. Dump me yeah. as a podcast co-host. Because here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I... If you dump me as a podcast co-host and go on and do your own thing, I do not have a future in <laughs> podcasting. Do you want a future in podcasting? It's never really been clear to me because I talk a lot about what our next podcast will be because we're going to be basically caught up with Ethan Hawke in November. We'll be, well, October for us and November for me. Like, that's kind of how it's going to shake out. Um, So we're going to be done, caught up, because we'll never be done. He'll never stop working, which means we'll always have something to talk about. And I think he has some of that that Richard Linklater vampire serum, you know. Yes, he will never die. he's going to live forever. He'll live longer than we do. That's for sure. I know that. Um, So we'll always be able to come back to this. But, I mean, I'd kind of like to have another full-time podcast. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Another weekly thing and not, like, once every six months. I guess it depends on what it's about. If I would be, Mm -hmm. you know. Because if you want to follow your podcast, Dream Hearts, Dreams Heart. I mean, podcast, if I really heart. wanted to follow my podcast, Dream Heart, whatever you just said, uh, I would make a Teen Wolf podcast called Adult Human. <laughs> That's what I really want. I want to find someone who will watch and re- like recap all of Teen Wolf with me. <laughs> That's what I want. This is an idea I've had for a long time. I think it's a good idea. I'm familiar with I, Teen Wolf. I bet I could watch all of Teen Wolf. Yeah. Because I watched all of One Tree Hill. You sure and did. That didn't and have that's any longer. Supernatural, that didn't have any supernatural elements. There are way more episodes of One Tree Hill than there are of Teen Wolf. Oh, easy. Yeah. Easy. And it has that little little skinny boy. <laughs> a little skinny boy? You know the one. Dylan O'Brien? Yeah, the skinny boy. You know who I'm talking about. Oh, I, don't, I really do. I guess Dylan O'Brien. The skinny He's boy. the only one that's like famous out of teen wolf the skinny boy the one from the maze runner i guess so 
The one from that movie, Deepwater Horizon, with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I guess so. Where, um, what's her name? Uh, Tom Cruise's fiance from Mission Impossible 3. Plays, Michelle Monaghan? Yeah, she plays uh, Mark Wahlberg's wife in that, that movie. That movie has quite a cast. Dark Deepwater Horizon? Yeah. Uh, I don't know who else is in it. I just it's, know. It's, it's, a, it's a fairly deep bench. I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. But I just know this off the top of my head. Yeah. Like if any, because I, because I just figure like if if I'm ever on a, on a, uh, uh, oil rig. Oh, I thought you were gonna say who wants to be a millionaire. Like if I'm ever on who wants to be a millionaire, and the question is who, which of these actors was in Deepwater Horizon? That would be really <laughs> funny. <laughs> then you'd be ready. Oh, it was not Michael Bay. No, it felt like Michael Bay, but it's was not Peter Michael Berg. Bay. Peter Berg, we know him. We do. No, think Person. back, think back to where we know him from. He's part of the Ethan Hawke cinematic universe. From know. from an early movie, he's from an early Ethan Hawke film. Uh, bef- before sunrise. No, he's always in a midnight clear. Oh wow! Yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah, uh, and he became like a big uh, uh, director. I think he directed a lot of the leftovers. If okay. I'm not, Deepwater Horizon. I'm sorry, I completely cut you off. Has Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> Dylan O'Brien. Yeah, that's yeah. the one I was thinking. Of. Okay, little yeah. Spider-Man looking ass. Gina does, Rodriguez. Yeah. Oh, Gina Rodriguez. Okay. Kate Hudson, Kurt oh, Russell. Kate Hudson. Okay. John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Quite a few people. Oh, maybe Kate Hudson plays Mark Wahlberg's wife and not Michelle Monaghan in this movie. Yeah, I don't see Michelle Monaghan. I swear Michelle Monaghan has played Mark Wahlberg's wife at some point. Maybe. I I think so. I just don't know when. Mm -hmm. Michelle Monaghan. Maybe it was in The Happening. You remember that movie? M. Night Shyamalan. Mark Wahlberg. John Leguizamo. The plants are talking. Wait, I think it's Patriots Day. With Michelle Monaghan? I think so. It's the Boston Marathon bombing movie. Ah, uh, yes. Classic Mark Wahlberg That's doing so these Mark Wahlberg. Like, terrible exploitationist yeah. movies based on, on real, real events, events where people, people died and died. suffered. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Classic Marky Mark. Very cool. Cool dude. Mark Wahlberg. I don't mm-hmm. mind saying this, honestly. Saying that he's a cool dude? No, I mean saying it in a sarcastic oh, way. Oh, yeah, yeah, He's yeah. actually like an asshole. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a, it's one thing to just be like based off of, you know, something that someone once said. Yeah, this is like that him. time that he committed a hate crime. Exactly, yeah. It's one thing to be like, oh, I heard he was an asshole. It's another thing to be like, oh, he committed a hate crime. Yeah. And then never really like owned up to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think she's, yeah, I think she's the... Cool. Well, I called it. I'm I'm fine just saying that she did. Yeah, she did. She's a nurse in that one, too. Oh, man. Michelle Monaghan, like, diversify your roles, girl. Oh, but casting directors cast Michelle Monaghan as something other than a nurse. Like a... Like a doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Kevin Bacon was in that movie too. John Goodman, J.K. Simmons, John Goodman. Disappointing. I love John Goodman. I'm a big John Goodman fan. Yeah. I don't know if you know this about me. Yeah, he's good. He's a delightful person. You know him personally? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, we go bowling. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet John Goodman doesn't actually bowl. No. He does not seem like the guy. Maybe he does. I don't know. I don't what know. do you think John Goodman likes to do in his spare time? I think he reads. I could see that seems like a reader to me yeah yeah i like him he was the bad guy in one in one season of damages mm. i think yeah i think so with uh it also had that chris messina guy you know about? that chris messina guy yeah of course i know who you're talking about i love chris messina well i knew his name right off the top of my head so clearly yeah you acted like you didn't yeah that's true it's because i'm just pretending i i don't have a crush on him you know you know how you pretend you don't know someone mm-hmm. by so you don't seem like you don't have a crush on them? Mm-hmm. You don't seem... Whatever. 
You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, um, this week we watched Seymour an introduction. Way to introduce the show. Listen, you know. Harper an introduction, more like. <laughs> I'm keeping all that in. So that whole thing was the introduction to the show. Yeah, I know. I just meant the segue. Oh, um, you know who I have a crush on? Who? Acclaimed pianist Seymour Bernstein. <laughs> After this movie, I sure do. Yeah. Are we Are we just going to launch in? We're just going to talk about it? Yeah, let's just, just get into say it. it. Just, just go right for it? Let's go into it. So this is um, Ethan Hawke's first documentary feature that he's ever directed. First documentary at all. I don't think he's ever done a short either. Mm-hmm. So his first documentary... Is this his second film that he's directed? Second feature length. Feature length. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, but third, if you count straight to one, his short film. Yeah. We'll from say that 1996 or whatever. We'll say this is the second. Yeah. Second film. Yeah. Not to discount straight to one, but second film. Yeah. I actually really like straight to one. Yeah. But I'm just saying it was like short. Yeah. I know. I'm just saying. I wouldn't, I wouldn't I like say. It. When I say second film, you know. Second feature length film. That's too wordy. Just say second film. Second film. We're we're in Ethan Hawke's specific podcast. I feel like we could take a second to say second feature length film, you know? Okay, this is his second feature length film yeah. that he's directed. Yes. Um yes, and it's a documentary. It is. Uh distributed by IFC. Ethan Hawke has a lot of ties with IFC. I think uh That's the least surprising thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um the truth the movie that's was going to come out in March, but because of coronavirus, like got delayed. Um, that movie is going to be distributed by IFC. Um, I believe that before Midnight and Boyhood were both distributed by IFC. Um, there are just a lot of Ethan Hawke movies that are distributed by them. Mm-hmm. Fun fact. Anyway, so this was. Oh wait, was this? No, maybe this was Sundance Selects. Well, anyway, we love IFC, um, but this I actually do believe was, yeah, sponsor us IFC. It's an Ethan Hawke podcast. What's more relevant to IFC? Um, For real. Anywho, and all of our before, our before episodes are some of our most uh, listened to episodes. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Get it together. Get it together. Sponsor us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I do actually think this was distributed by Sundance Selects. My bad. My bad. They have an entire cable channel. But you know what they really need to get their... What? IFC or Sundance? IFC. Oh, they both do. To get yeah. their footing off the ground. To sponsor this little podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's what they need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll it'll be we'll a big We'll bring boost. in the big bucks. I mean, we're giving them free publicity right now. We which are. Which we really shouldn't be. I don't care. I like them. We're, we're never going to make money positive. off of this podcast. I can't say anything positive about anyone that's not paying me to. Well, that's a you problem. I'm all about them bills. True. So, yeah. So, this is a documentary about Seymour Bernstein. He's a pianist. Mm-hmm. Um, and he... Is just, he just seems like a, a great, like, spiritual guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the movie, the documentary starts with, uh, Seymour at the piano and he's trying to figure out how to play something and he tries repeatedly and he keeps kind of getting it wrong. And then finally he gets it. And that's, that's our introduction to Seymour mm. and Seymour and introduction. Ooh, yeah. And he's like giving lessons and stuff like that. Yeah. So we see a montage after that of him, um, teaching piano to a few students and, um, yeah, I don't know. And it's like, it's just kind of like a joy to watch him teach people mm-hmm. piano. He's like, he really, I mean, not to jump ahead, but I mean, this is it's like a documentary that's just about a man who plays piano yeah. and is good at it and he's good at teaching people and he loves it, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, he's like really dedicated to his craft and to sharing it with other pianists. And it's just like really beautiful. I, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a, tough week in mm-hmm. the world yeah and um it was just like a really beautiful movie to watch yeah, yeah. i agree yeah i really enjoyed it i i i yeah i was not really i didn't feel like watching a movie before we started but i was really glad that we did yeah 
Um, yeah. So Ethan Hawke met Seymour Bernstein at a party. And we learned this at, um, there's some event that's going on and Ethan Hawke is on, he's on the camera. Um, so he's on camera a couple times and sometimes we just hear his voice and sometimes we actually see him. But, um, this particular time he's introducing Seymour at some kind of event where he's going to play. And Ethan Hawke says that, uh, he says, I've been struggling recently with why it is I do what I do. And he talks, um... You know, a bit about how he met Seymour, which was at a party, Um, you know, just randomly he met him and was talking about how he was struggling with, you know, motivation and also stage fright. And he met Seymour Bernstein, um, who, like, really helped him out and gave him some advice. And so that's when he, you know got the idea to do this whole movie about him yeah and he says that he helped him more than people in his anyone in his own profession Mm -hmm. yeah so seymour bernstein was a pianist who played he played until he was 50 Mm -hmm. and then when he was 50 he um he told a friend if you love me you'll never let me play in public again and that was the last time he ever played in public yeah he was basically like at the height of his Mm -hmm. success and he just he just didn't want to do it yeah he had played some concert and he was like you know the next day he was opened up like the new york times or something to read the review and he was you know really prepared for the worst but then it was like the you know the greatest like rave reviews you could ever expect yeah he's talking about this guy and he's like you know he always hated pianists (laughs) yeah so yeah one of the things we get to see is uh seymour teaching a uh master class at nyu and yeah before that um can i just mention the thing about uh the patroness that sponsored him that was pretty oh yeah yeah that was i think that was shortly after uh, that, yeah, that was after. I mean, the NYU thing kind of wraps through the mm-hmm. movie, but yeah, go for it. Um, so basically, he kind of he rose to. He didn't have a lot of. He he didn't come from like a well-to-do family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was this person that he was like at the. I don't remember exactly why. Mm-hmm. But he. Her name was Miss Booze. Yeah, yeah, and she. He said, "Oh, do you, do you need someone to play the the? There was an organ sitting there." Yeah, she was um she was like a a spiritual leader mm-hmm. of some. Re- I don't remember what he called the religion, but it was like kind of a combination of like Buddhism and uh, Christianity yeah. and Judaism. It was called like I am. Yes. Or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so um she had an organ and he offered to play it and then after that she, you know, became sponsor basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, he went on his Petrus. his first debut to Europe um and she completely financially sponsored him on that or supported him on that and then um and then when he came home from Europe, he didn't really have anywhere to stay and so she had this like mansion and she just Yo. gave him the keys and said, you know, stay and here. She, and he was saying that she would send him things, like, every day. There would be something, some new thing that he, like, a TV and all these other things. And then his, the house was filled with, like, pictures of himself. Yeah. So she had put all these pictures of himself. And he said that he was, which is understandable, he said that he was kind of just, he, he, it was too much for him. He had to, he had to go. Yeah. I mean, he said he was, like, grateful but didn't want to encourage it, you know. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which reminded me of, it made me think of Great Expectations. Oh, yeah. You know, like, that's kind of what happens with Ethan Hawke's character and, and the older lady. hmm You know, that, that she, she does things for him and all that stuff. Yeah, that's true. I, I hadn't made that connection, but. Yeah. It's all part of that Ethan Hawke cinematic universe. But yeah, that, like that's what I thought of like right away. That's what it made me think of. Yeah. So the NYU class, um, he we see him like teach several students. So it's like kind of it's on stage. So there are people, you know, yeah. in the audience of like the the classroom. You know, it's like a large classroom with a stage with the piano on it. Right, and there's like maybe 
30 people sitting down or something yeah it's not a ton of people but it's enough to where it's if you're practicing in front of that many people it's probably not very comfortable to do mm-hmm. that's true well i also but i imagine though if you're at that point you've probably done like you know a number of recitals you know throughout your life because if you're at that point where you're like studying piano in college you've probably well, been you playing think- a long time and you've done recitals like in front of you know don't you think though that like okay this is i'm not saying this as someone who has like a lot of experience in this regard but don't you think that it's like in some ways it's more nerve-wracking to perform in front of like seven people than it is to perform in front of a hundred sure you know what i mean like i think that there's something there is something kind of intimidating about performing in front of a small crowd because you can identify every single person Mm -hmm. you know what i mean you can look at a specific person and know that they're seeing you. I feel like if you're in front of a larger audience, you can get kind of lost in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the other thing, though, is that, like, this is a classroom setting. And so it's like... So everyone else is probably a student as well. Yeah. So everyone's yeah. a student and they're all kind of learning the same skills together. And um, and also there's a film crew there. And there's a film crew there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you're... Yeah, the film crew would probably be more nerve-wracking than, like, your classmates. Yeah. You know, because I'm... Like, when you're... Like, the only, like, relevant experience I would have would be, like, in a dance class, you know? Mm-hmm. If you're in a dance class, you're probably in this class with people you've known for a while. Um, and, like, when uh, your teacher is, like, giving you instruction on how to, like, correct your form or something, you're just focused on, like, correcting it mm-hmm. more than you are on everyone watching you. Right, right, right. So that's true. Yeah, I don't feel... Yeah. But, you know, everyone's different. Um... Yeah, and Seymour, especially, he had mentioned, like, that, you know, like, his, like, real horror at playing, you know? Like, he felt this horror before he played and while yeah. playing yeah. at any live performance. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So, yeah, so, I mean, what I really liked about watching him teach these students is that he would... Um, have them kind of do it over and over and over again until mm-hmm. they got it like really specifically the way that it should be. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like mean, but he was insistent. Yeah. yeah. You know, and um, and like relentless, but he was very like clear about what you know. He knew everything that they were. He he knew everything that they were doing wrong that was like making it not come out the way that it should, mm-hmm. and he knew how to like give them clear instruction on how to correct it yeah 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 there's a good amount of like like sort of i mean i think because it's piano and not like you know i don't know it's not like popular music you know it's it's like classical music Mm -hmm. so i think there's there's a bit of like you know you see a documentary about like some musicians and it's more about their life and their kind of I mean, this is about his life as well. Mm-hmm. But I think because it's piano, because it's classical music, there's a fair amount of like sort of shop talk that's involved in 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 watching him. I mean, it's not that it's hard to follow, but mm-hmm. you you uh, you know you, the, you spend a fair amount of time seeing things that you like that I don't really understand. You know. Mm-hmm. True. Um. But it's like it's pretty clear that he's you know, and we we get to hear from like. A number of there there aren't talking heads in this movie but there are a number of like people that he's in conversation with throughout the movie where they're kind of having like a dialogue about him yeah you know yeah so we get to hear from like many students of his and like many other like you know uh people like you know like the people at steinway and like you know we get to hear from all these people that we know that he's like he is an expert and that he is like very good at what he does Mm -hmm. you know um so even if it's not you know like a skill set that we have like we can still like understand and see that he's an expert right Yeah. yeah yeah like i said it's not hard to hard to understand it's just mm-hmm you don't always know exactly what, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. The interesting, the one of the people he talks to a lot is this m- music writer that he 
slash piano player that he had taught. Mm-hmm. Michael Kinnaman. I guess so. Uh, yeah, he wrote for the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's the guy at the beginning of the, at the cafe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those conversations were the most interesting to me. And also the conver- also the ones where it's just Seymour just talking. Yeah. Those were good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he says a lot because he, he casts him like basically, don't you think that you have, he asks him if he has like a responsibility to, to, to you know, use his, his talents and things like that. And he talks a bit about the, like the commercial aspect of it and the artistic aspect of it and how they feel like they're at odds and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they have interesting conversations about just creativity and things. Yeah, and I think the other thing that especially I liked out of their conversation, which also, you know, kind of like th- is the thread throughout the whole movie. Um, but I l- appreciated the way that he talked about um, how if he was playing all the time, he wouldn't. I think he talked about this with a couple of people, actually. But if he was playing all the time, he wouldn't have time to compose. And then we get to see like this, uh, you know, this these continuous screenshots of like all of his uh compositions yeah 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 um and he's and some of them they're like it's like music for squirrels and like (laughs) birds volume one and there's a lot of sort of animal themed ones and some they all have kind of like fun names yeah definitely but it's you know it's it's just kind of you can see the way that stepping back from performing even though he's you know like one of the most gifted pianists um stepping back from performing allowed him to like create and like work harder on his craft yeah 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 they they talk a bit about that about the idea of like how a lot of sort of classical musicians just do performances and things like that they just do like Brahms or whatever Mm -hmm. and there's that that not everyone like is writing original music Mm mm-hmm yeah, he has another he has another student that's one of the people that we see him talking with who who says that he one of the one of the best things he had learned from from Seymour was that he needed to com- keep composing and so that every time he went out and he played something, he'd also make sure to to write something. Mm-hmm. Um which I thought was pretty admirable. Mhm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so another, another kind of like defining thing about Seymour is that he's lived in the same studio apartment in New York for 57 years. Yeah. Um, he talks about this, like kind of as a voiceover while we see him like fold up his bed. He has like a fold out couch couch bed. bed, Yeah. Yeah. So he folds the bed up into the couch and he sets up his living room. So it's like a living room. Yeah. And this is, you know, something he does every, every day. Um, he takes it out and then he puts it back up yeah and um i it really kind of gels with the whole like his whole spiritual vibe and his like commitment to craft it kind of feels like the the ritual of you know unfolding and folding the bed feels like it would really and like a you know kind of like possessionless he's not that he's possessionless but like a you know he lives in a studio apartment yeah. You know, so like not having that many things, not having a big home, like this routine uh, and his, you know, kind of like humble life, like all yeah. kind of creates Seymour as a person. Yeah. But he's he doesn't like come off as like an ascetic monk or something. Yeah. He he he's like very he's very humorous. He's very quick witted. He's very self-effacing. Like he's you know he's an entertaining person yeah um, totally he's not like a you know he talks about music in a way that like he wants anyone to kind of understand what he means and and things like that so so yeah mm-hmm. and he talks about like one of his the pr- the proudest things that he felt that he had accomplished was that his teacher uh clifford curzon Mm-hmm. who's an english pianist yeah very well regarded um te- uh, performer musician um and he wrote he he's like he he looked at all these different people who had been knighted and things like that and he thought like why is why is this guy not why has he not been knighted mm-hmm. 
So he writes a le- he says that he wrote a letter to the queen, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, like he addressed it Buckingham Palace. Yeah. And put it in the mail. And then he, you know, some couple months later or whatever, he got a letter back in like this very ornate, you know, p- uh, p- uh, envelope with like a seal and everything like that. And they say like, oh, we've, we've, we've s- submitted your request to the prime minister or blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that, and that shortly after that, he ended up being knighted. Yeah. And he jokes about it. He's like, you know, I'm not sure if that was what did it or not, but yeah, you know, yeah. I thought that was cute. Yeah. Um, yeah. Around that time, we also learned that Seymour was in the army. Yes. Um, so he was called to the army and then, uh, ended up in Korea and while he was there, he met another violinist who was in his same group. Mm-hmm. I don't know the army word for group, but I can't company think company. Sure. Um, and uh, they so yeah, so he and this violinist they asked their commanding officer if they could play for the troops, and then they ended up being sent on a a tour um, where they played on like the front lines, basically in yeah. the Korean War. Yeah. Um. And. Yeah, it was it was pretty moving the way he talked about how he, they were received. Yeah. Um, because their their commanding officer was like, "What classical music? Who's gonna like that?" Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then they ended up playing, and you know the men like loved it so much they wouldn't let them leave. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And that was, you know, we don't really get to, like, learn too much about Seymour's life, like, before yeah. he was, like, a piano, you know, before. Yeah, that's kind of the big, the the big kind of strokes are, like, his, his, t- uh, his, he talks a little bit about his uh, uh, patroness, and then his service, um, and that's kind of those are the big strokes basically and then the the basically when he quit Mm -hmm. performing live yeah i mean i i imagine and i don't know just because this wasn't in the movie but he seems really comfortable talking about like his life as a pianist and like playing and teaching and all that stuff but there are a couple moments where we see him kind of get emotional or have a hard time talk about things outside of that so like there's you know like when he's talking about his time in the army he starts to cry yeah and he says you know like i i knew this was gonna happen yeah he's he mentioned specifically like the body bags he he had like repressed a lot of the memories related to it yeah and he had unearthed one of his diaries that he hadn't touched in 40 years or whatever however long it was i meant reading it brought back these memories that he had completely uh put aside mm-hmm yeah, and there's another there's another time where Ethan Hawke it seems like Ethan Hawke is like trying to get him to open up more about his like childhood, mm-hmm. and so he asks him like, uh, "You told me once that your father said that he had two daughters and a pianist. Like, mm-hmm. how did that make you feel?" Uh, and he was like, "Yeah, no, I, you know, it made me feel like he had he just didn't understand me." Yeah, and that's yeah. why he said that. Yeah. And then that was kind of the end of that, and they don't go into it further. Yeah, which. You know, so it seems like that's just not he's just not comfortable talking about his life outside of piano. Yeah. Which was interesting. There was a they they cut back and forth out of that NYU uh, class a couple times. And one thing that I, I really liked was there's this part where he's like teaching them about breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, most of us breathe so poorly. It's a wonder we're still alive. Yeah yeah um oh yeah and that's actually from like an old like instructional video of him yeah that i thought that was funny that was funny he he does this video where he's it was like a sort of like proto master class Mm -hmm. but it was also kind of like an infomercial the way it was shot yeah it was it felt dated like kind of like 80s yeah 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 he's like wearing a suit and he's sitting at a piano and he like stands up and like puts his arms out and he like swirls his head around and things like that it's a bit like a yoga class or something mm-hmm. but but then he like talks about breathing and all these other things mm-hmm. and he he talks a little bit about piano he's like oh people are so afraid of the uh the whatever pedal one of the pedals he had the name for it i forgot what the name was mm-hmm. the soft pedal or something that sounds right 
Yeah, he's like, people are so afraid of the soft pedal, but they don't need to be or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot about the way people play certain... Because a lot of the focus is on how, like, how basically how hard you press the keys and mm-hmm. when you play the song. So you yeah. can press them really hard, it's going to be like... Very, uh, like, resounding. You know, or you could be like, ding, you can play more gently, whatever. Yeah. And he talks a lot about that, and like he said, he mentions like that that some that some pianists like they he talks about like the he he puts it in these kind of interesting like masculine terms. He says that like people are afraid to be they feel like they have to be so masculine the way they play piano, basically mm-hmm. that you have to like you know yeah press it Slam like very, you know every every. And he talks, and he mentions like Beethoven, and he says that he played the song, you know, he played the, one of his symphonies or whatever, and then everyone was crying, and he's like, "Why are you crying? Like you're men or whatever." Uh-huh. And he was sort of, he was see where I was just sort of talking about how ridiculous that is, like how how afraid that some men are of seeming unmasculine. Yeah. And he said, uh, and. One of my, I don't know if this was in regards to that Beethoven story, but one of my favorite quotes he says is, uh, the story is probably spurious, but somebody wrote it. Mm. That's my, I think my favorite line in the movie. Nice. Um, yeah, one of the things that, like, really was impressed upon me was the way that like all of his students are have taken on like a good deal of his like life philosophy you Mm -hmm. know as well you know when they learn piano from him they're also learning about like living from him and um his he has like a current student who was a teenager with like this boy with like a long ponytail and everything yeah. yeah and um he he talks about um needing to listen to the piano with precision and love Mm-hmm. And then, like, applying that to listening to people. Um, and, and Seymour is, like, just there, like, kind of nodding, like, yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This kid gets it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was another, there was a former student of his is one of the people, you know, the recurring conversations we see. And he talks about, um, there's actually two former students there. And one of them is, like, talking about this kind of, like, conspiracy theory about how like the universe resonates in B flat yeah. and uh, Beethoven, Bach and Schubert like all have major pieces in B flat. And the other guy's like, you know, like their B flat was not our B flat. It's really not the same thing. And he's like, no, 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 no. Listen, like it's the language of the universe. Yeah. Uh, it was just, it was kind of cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, to bring this back to Ethan Hawke a little bit, um, we do, we do get to see some more of him talking to Seymour and he says he's like clearly having a midlife crisis. Ethan, I love you. Come on the pod, but like, it's okay. You know, it happens to everyone. Um, and he says some of the most successful things I've done are some of the worst things I've done. Yeah. Well, he says some of the most successful and then he pauses and says successful again with like quotations, uh-huh. like air quotes. He like puts a lot of emphasis on that word. Yeah. Um, gotta wonder what he's talking about yeah, there. Same. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh man, what does he consider the worst? Yeah. Like, what are his most financial su- financially successful movies? The Purge would have just happened. Really? Yeah, the Purge. I mean, The Purge made so much. It's a horror movie. You spend almost yeah, nothing yeah, yeah, making yeah. a horror movie, and yeah. then you Sinister too. Mm, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, technically, those are financially successful, but I don't yeah. think either of those are like his best movies. Yeah, I do have to wonder what he was talking about. Couldn't have been Getaway. No one saw that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, I mean, I think like all of his, you know, I, I honestly have a hard time really thinking of like Success- financially successful. Well, financially successful, but also like a. This is crazy to say, like a bad, like a bi- like a bad, like big Ethan Hawke movie. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think. Like, the big ones are bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Financially I mean, successful and... There are a couple where I'm like, ooh, you know? But those are smaller ones that, like, no one has really seen except for us. Right, 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 right. Um, 
Yeah, I'm 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 curious too. I but I mean, like, I'm looking at the VHS of Snow Falling on Cedars. That one's pretty successful, and that was good. I thought mm-hmm. Gattaca successful, yeah, good. Yeah. Training Day successful, good. You know, before sunrise, successful, good. I know he wasn't talking about before yeah, sunrise. Yeah, I know he wasn't talking about that. He either, loves yeah. those movies. Um, but I just, yeah, I just wonder. Yeah, me too. We'll never know though. He'll never and then say. Seymour asks him like. He's talking about how he sort of is feeling unfulfilled, and he says, like, Seymour asks him, like, you know, if he if he's fine, if he wants to find what he's looking for in acting, and he says he doesn't know. Yeah. Which is like really like wow. Yeah. You know, he's such an actor boy. He is such an actor boy, but I mean, we've also seen him like branch out with, um, you know, he's written four novels. Um, now at this point he's directed two feature length films and one short Mm -hmm. Um, and he's written on all the before movies you know like he's he's done more than he does more than just act and I could see how like maybe and he started acting when he was so young that it's you know he took those four years off when he was a teenager but like other than that other than that he's always acted you know and it's I I think it's when you just kind of start doing that kind of like what L.R. Coltrane was saying yeah. about how he didn't really feel like it was acting. He just felt like it was like just what he did. Right. You know, so when you start doing that and then suddenly that's your career, I could see how um, when you get to be 40 something that you could like and you have maybe other interests like Ethan Hawke clearly has music, writing, directing are all interests of his. You know, I could see how that would be you'd start to question it yeah after doing and i think getaway. also i think also <laughs> it can be the thing that you like doing the most and you still feel unfulfilled by it i think that's i don't think that's uncommon to feel mm-hmm. that way that you that it's your biggest passion but you still end up having doubts about it because you've spent so much time it's like you know the more the digger you deep the digger you dig. <laughs> the deeper you dig the de- the digger you deep uh-huh. the more you feel the less you sort of know i guess in a way you mm-hmm. know it's like it's like you know the more the more que- you, it's like it, it's a frequent kind of trope about science is that the more answers you get the more yes. questions you have and i yeah. think that can be applied to someone's own sort of interests you know mm-hmm. like any sort of creative pursuit like music let's say the more you know then you end up having more questions about other things Mm -hmm. there's a funny like little story that seymour was saying um when ethan hawk is introducing him at this event um he he talks about how seymour like gave him this advice that kind of helped him and uh and seymour says oh you didn't tell them what i said to you and he tells him the story about how um, Sarah Bernhardt, who's uh, you know a famous actress from like the early 1900s, mm-hmm. uh, eight, late 1800s, whenever, um, she uh, a young actress came up to her for an autograph, and she saw her handshaking and was like, "Oh, you're like nervous. How come? How how come you're nervous? And like when I get up on stage and act, I'm never nervous." And she and Sarah Bernhardt said like the. Uh, you'll get nervous when you actually start acting, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. I think actually does apply, you know, with Ethan Hawke, you know, I like guess you get older and like, you know, when you're a kid, you're acting, you're just playing. Yeah. But when you're an adult and you realize that like acting is a craft, much like playing the piano, like Seymour, like, you know, anything else that there's like more going on that you have to be nervous about, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 So. True. Also, Sarah Bernhardt, who... Uh, is she related to Ethan Hawke? For sure. You know it. Everyone is. Um, she was one of the uh, Lady Macbeths mm. that he learned about from that historian. Oh, that's fun. In, uh, yeah, in... What was that? Uh, Shakespeare Uncovered. Yeah. I thought one of the best scenes is he's at the... Uh, Seymour's at the Steinway mm-hmm. uh, Hall. I love that. I love, like anything where a pianist goes to Steinway in New York, <laughs> anything with that just makes me so happy. Like in um, music and lyrics, uh-huh. the Hugh Grant, uh, Drew Barrymore movie, there's a scene where he just like strolls in there. He's like, let me just, uh, and he just like plays something on the piano in there. It's, I just, 
I love a I love a musician going to Steinway. Anyway, continue. Yeah, they're they're basically like they're in like a basement. It looks like it could be without pianos. You'd be like, oh, maybe this is like the loading dock to yeah. a supermarket or something. Yeah, like it, it's it's very bare bones. It's like underground. It's gray. Yeah, and then there's just a bunch of these you know incredible pianos. And he goes around. He starts sitting it. He sits at one. Mm-hmm. He plays a single note. He's like, oh, horrid, horrid. <laughs> And then he gets up and he goes to another one. And he's like, oh, this one's pretty good. And then he goes to another one. He's like, this is the most. He starts playing. He's like, this is the most incredible thing. He's like, I've never played on a piano like this before. It's mm-hmm. the most beautiful thing I've ever played on. And and he's, and he's the, the guy that he's talking to, mm-hmm. who's just like this sort of, you know, kind of just like a stocky guy, like big. You know, you, yeah. you, you think of him as like someone who like might be, you know. He kind of looks like a tough guy, you know, but he's yeah. like a, he's a piano expert guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, he's like, oh, he's surprised to hear that, that, that uh, Seymour hasn't played on a piano like this. And he tells him that it's made in New York. And he says that every piano, Seymour says that every piano is like a person because he's going around seeing all these pianos. Every piano is like a person. They're built the same, but they never come out the same. Mm-hmm. And it's this, he's in this hall to rent one of these pianos. And so he sits at this piano that he loves and he says, can we, can we rent this piano? We're just going up to the hall, the rotunda hall. There's like a small playing room inside Steinway Hall that's like upstairs Mm -hmm. on street level. So it's very, you know, it's close by basically. And he says, can we borrow this for the date that they're playing on, planning on? So basically this movie is structured like you don't realize it at first, but we're leading up to his first public performance in and a like, very long time. Yeah. Uh, and he, and he asks like, oh, can we, can we, can we use this piano for that day? And one of the guys is like, oh, I'll go ask. And the other guy is like, I wouldn't have showed it to you mm-hmm. if you couldn't use it. Um, He's like, well, how much does it cost to rent it? He's like, oh, it's you're a Steinway artist. It's free. You just, and he's like, well, wow, that's very. It's kind of amazing because he's like this very kind of advanced pianist. This kind of very well regarded and reputed yeah. pianist, and he's acting like he's like so so. He's so shy and so polite about it. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's like he it's it's like he doesn't want to impose. He's like, oh, we're just going up upstairs. We're we're not going very far, so it won't be any trouble for you, you know. He he like he doesn't want to impose at all, which is very very kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we we finally do see that musical performance, and it's the first time. Yeah, like you said, it's the first time he's performed in public in thirty five years. Um, and so at first we see him play and we hear, and then we continue to hear him play while there's like a montage of like joy, like people joyously like playing or singing, you know, Mm -hmm. music. Um, and it's all kind of tied into like his whole thing. He said once that like, uh, music creates ecstasy Mm -hmm. and it's all kind of tied into that and like the joy of the universe and, you know, music in the universe. Yeah his whole philosophy um yeah and then we see some fun people in the audience um <laughs> the f- the first person i clocked was maya hawk yeah um because it was it was the camera was on her for so long yeah it was because it was like a, a f- like the focus was racked so we could so seymour was in the background and he was out of focus yeah and then up in the front was maya hawk not even looking at him like she's like looking to the side yeah and then she like turns her head towards him and then it racks focus to seymour and so that was like a really long shot of maya hawk yeah and then later it cuts to someone who's sitting on the other side and i get and i like turned to jonathan and i was like I'm Jonathan. I know, but I'm telling the audience, <laughs> the people at home. Okay, I turned to you. Yeah. And I was like, "Is that Mark Ruffalo?" And you were like, "I don't know." And then I went back I didn't to him. Say that. I said, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it, you know, later cut back to him, but then he was blurry. But I was—he's so distinctive that I was so sure. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, of course, he's friends with Ethan Hawke, and mm-hmm. of course, he would be there. 
I was surprised Bobby Cannavale and Rose Byrne, Rose Byrne weren't no, there. Wait. Staten Island? No, wait. Which one no. is it? What doesn't kill you? Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're all the same. It's fine. Um, you can't say that. Sorry. We're on the show. Sorry. He's going to be the one that he listens to. Um, now, Ethan, I'm very glad that you got the chance to work with Mark Ruffalo. I would love to see you in something together again. <laughs> um, and that's kind of... That's pretty much it. One thing, one more thing I did want to mention. So we get to see a little bit more of him with his students and they talk about him and they say really nice things yeah, about him. Yeah, yeah. And one of them, she says, uh, I think she, like Japanese is her first language. So she, it's, she's like trying to get across, yeah, but yeah. it isn't, it isn't um, totally come across. But she says basically like the uh, composers would be happy in heaven because he brings out every message in the music. Mm-hmm. And that was just killer. Yeah. Was so it was so nice this movie is so nice like i yeah i thought one of the sweetest lines was when he he's you see him later and he's back with the writer guy that he the new york times guy that he mm-hmm. had taught and he says he says you asked me earlier what i what responsibility i feel to, to you know for making music and he says and i realized my answer is that i poured it into you which is really sweet yeah yeah sweet man with a sweet message yeah 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 i don't know i just really love this movie like this is just it gave me like real like paddington 2 feeling in my heart mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely definitely wreck yeah would wreck yeah and it's a it's a lean 90 or 89 it was 81 minutes, minutes or something yeah. yeah so it's very watchable yeah what's what's streaming is it on uh no where do we watch it i don't know they were in commercials hulu we watched it on hulu Hulu. yeah Yeah. it's on hulu i think it's on canopy too so um very easy to watch very accessible um would definitely recommend sponsor us um peter travers from the from rolling stone gave it three and a half out of four stars which is pretty nice. Solid. Solid, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the only real mention of Ethan Hawke, he says, um, the twice Oscar-nominated actor appears on screen only briefly. Hawke knows where the spotlight belongs. Believe me, the 81 minutes spent in Bernstein's funny, touching, and vital presence is something you don't want to miss. And I gotta yeah. agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, that's really all I got. Jonathan, do you have something you want to share with Sure. Me? With what? With me, because we have no guests today. Well, and our audience, and our audience. Yeah, yes, but when I tried Harper. to share, I'm going to tell Harper. <laughs> when I tried to I'm share with the Harper audience, you got all fact. weird. I'm going to tell Harper a hawk fact right now. Okay. Audience, Harper, are you ready? Mm-hmm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, so <laughs> this movie is the first time that mm-hmm. we see in an Ethan Hawke movie or any reference to maya hawk oh okay so i was looking into mayan hawks <laughs> okay as in the mythology related to for sure hawks yeah. and ancient mayan Culture. mythology yeah uh so there's this book called mayan mythology by stephen curry i don't know if it's the same <laughs> steph curry i hope so but um there's a little section about uh toads opossums and bluebirds just buckle up okay Uh, another example from the mayan tradition describes how toads got their wide stomachs in this story toad hitches a ride into the sky with his friend hawk once in the sky however hawk leaves toad on a cloud and flies away realizing he has no other way to get back down to the ground toad decides to jump he hopes to glide gently toward the earth just as hawk is able to do but instead of soaring majestically through the sky toad plummets like a rock (laughs) when he hit the earth one account explains he flattened out he landed hard and his belly spread out wide that's why the toad today has a big belly (laughs) that's cute yeah Uh, i think this maybe was written possibly for like a young audience yeah um but it's not it's like well i mean i think a lot of mythology is just easy to understand that's true um, but yeah, so that's that comes from uh, Mayan historian and Golden State Warrior forward, 
Steph Curry. <laughs> love so thank it. Thank you. You'll love to see it. Just like I said in my letterbox review of Seymour and Introduction. Ooh, little plug. Little plug. I'll check out my letterbox. Um Yeah, do you have anything else to say? No, not really. Neither. I feel like this was good as an hour, a good hour here. Mm-hmm. Um well, uh, I've been Harper. You can find me on the internet at Harping About on Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd. I haven't been using social media very much. Uh, I haven't been posting uh, to my own or to the Hawkeyes pod Instagram because I want to make sure that I don't clog anyone's feed and I want to, you know, lift up black voices during this time. Mm -hmm. This is a Mm -hmm. crucial time to be sharing information and educating ourselves and our friends and our family. Um, And... Yeah, so if anyone is uh, able to financially, I, I might have posted on the Instagram about this, but um, and on the Facebook, I guess. But, uh, you know, if you've ever listened to this podcast and enjoyed it, you know, we've never, as I mentioned, we've never made any money off of this and we never probably will. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've if you feel like you've gotten anything out of this podcast, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you could like donate even ten dollars to a local bail fund or black lives matter or black visions collective or you know any organization that's helping uh to support black lives in this time yeah i saw uh there's there's one that i did that i hadn't seen much about but i i saw someone had it had been posted about online but it was so act blue was doing this thing where they yes yeah, like a national bail yeah so basically what they did is like you you donate yeah it's like a yeah bail thing and they uh they have one where you donate however much and then it splits it between a bunch of different yeah i think it's like 30 different local bail funds yeah some i think maybe even more than that it might be like Mm. but yeah it's, it's quite a few of them so um i thought that was a pretty good idea because i think that a lot of people donated like right away to like i mean this this kind of happens sometimes that a lot of times people donate a bunch of money right away to like a single organization yeah and i think that sometimes it's in these situations it's good to like uh to try to spread out donations because Mm -hmm. i think that some small organizations like you know they might not be equipped to be able to handle like to put those resources to good use right away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think it is. And then there are other organizations, you know, it, it, just like whatever sort of organization is, is the one that people are talking about is probably a worthwhile organization to support. But I just think it's a good idea in general to like try to spread out. Yeah. Spread it out. Spread out support where you can and like, so that different organizations can do different things. They all have their own missions and they all work in their own places. And so, and so that yeah, I thought that I thought that was I thought that was a pretty good idea. I hadn't seen anything like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you put in, yeah, it's a minimum dollar for. So if you donate less than the total amount, it just mm-hmm. kind of breaks it up mm-hmm. over. It it doesn't. It won't be completely even if you donate. Yeah, like not the even number for each. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. divisible so, by the number of cities. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you can you can basically give whatever you want, and then it'll break it up somehow to to different organizations. So I thought that was I, I don't have the the uh, the link to it, but um, I will try to track it down and I'll put it in our link in bio. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, where can the people find you? Uh, Instagram and Letterbox, I suppose. John Zavaleta, J O N Z A V L E G A, and. Uh, did you say that you were i was just plugging donating sure yeah 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 Yeah. that works yeah or um you know do some reading we all have to work on doing our all non-black people need to work on our anti-racist education in these times Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh very important i mean it's always important but you know now now we're all we're all motivated we're all activated i think when we have this momentum we should all be making sure we're doing the work yeah and i think that you know I think that with regards to the donations, um, I think it's definitely a good time to donate, but the, you know, a lot of people are like struggling, you know, this like COVID-19 costs a lot of people, their jobs and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's still going to be, uh, unfor- I mean, unfortunately there's still going to be like issues two, three, 
four or five months from now, there's still going to be work totally. to be done. So I think that a lot of people feel maybe pressure to donate and it's a good time to do it. But I think if people are feeling like financially strained, yes, of keep course. it in mind yeah. and, and try to, you know, yeah. try to do it in the future, you know? Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the, cause you know, you still, we still gotta like, you know, there's still a lot of people that are, that are still struggling with, you know, I mean, job loss and things like that and mm-hmm. cut, cut hours and, and whatnot. So, yes, definitely. Um, well, thank you everyone for listening. I hope that the show has brought you, you know, some kind of, I don't know, joy or reprieve if you need it. Um, yeah. Okay. Good night, everyone. Good night.